0: also got the church name updated at the bank yesterday which we've been waiting to do since february so i was very happy for that so going forward every check we take them is supposed to say renewal baptist church so i'm tired of talking about it but hopefully i get us used to it at this point and we can just be renewal baptist church without any of those things to have to try and remember so i am thankful for that and that's a praise to share with you all okay first corinthians chapter 9 I'll give you a quick review of last week. We've been talking about the finances of the first century church, and we covered in week weeks past, basic elements about what does the Bible have to say about giving in general and Old Testament principles and commands that carry into the New Testament. Then we took a couple of weeks to look at what did they do with the money that they gave collectively in the New Testament church. And the first one that we studied was that they gave to persecuted Christians, not people who didn't want to work, but other Christians in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. They were going from house to house. They were trying to check and see were they Christians, and they were putting them to death, so they gave to help those people. We've seen in Afghanistan just this year the headlines telling us that after America withdrew our troops and after the Taliban took back over again, that they were going from door to door looking for Christians and even taking people's phones and looking for the Bible app to see if they were Christians so that they could do not good things to them. We've seen it all throughout our history. We see it even today. We need to remember that we must serve the Lord, not because things are perfect, but because he has commanded us to. And even if we face persecution, we need to try and stand tall. And then last week we started looking at, I gave three other things that I said, rather than covering one by one, I'll just give them all to you up front because a lot of the passages we look at, all they all kind of run together. And it was that they gave to support pastors, missionaries, and widows. And we'll see how far we we get tonight, I may have one more lesson after this to wrap it up. But as I said last week, we just want to know, what does the Bible say? It's a common complaint of people that too much money of the church goes to support staff and too much of it goes to uh, pay for a building. We talked about church buildings last week and what a blessing it is to be able to have a place that people of God gave in years past so that we could have this beautiful place to meet debt-free today. They were good stewards of the Lord's money to invest it in a place like this so that for generations to come, we can enjoy it, we can have things for our children, and they can enjoy it, and we can also invite the community to come hear the gospel preached through events and things that we could not have if we didn't have a building. And I've said this before, but I have an honest, sincere belief that the Word of God teaches that every Christian should strive to be a part of a local New Testament church. And I believe that part of that church membership, part of that being faithful to the church where we attend, is that we give to support with our offering as the Lord leads us in principle. Principles of proportionality and how he's blessed us, and what we believe he wants us to do. And I mean it with all of my heart that if there was someone who couldn't come to this church and go and give, I would want you to go to another church and go and give. It's not about me. It's not about this one place. And as I said last week, um, it's nothing that is self-serving or something that I'm trying to get the point across because as I said, we have part-time salaries and that's working very well for us. And that's something that I hope I get to do for the rest of my career that I can keep my other job to help take the burden off of the church and take care of my my family, but I want us to know what does the Bible say? If someone says, well, churches give too much money to support staff, I want us to know what did they do in the Bible and what do the verses say? And we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 through 14, and we said that the apostle Paul in chapter 8 and then in the chapters after chapter 9, he's talking about giving up your rights and he's telling them about things like the right to eat meat, that it may not be sinful in and of itself, but if they had Jewish neighbors and loved ones that they wanted to see get saved, then they should not partake in meat that was sacrificed to idols because it would create a stumbling block that would hurt their witness where they wouldn't want to listen to them talk about the gospel. So he says, yes, you have the right to do certain things and to eat meat, even if it was sacrificed unto an idol and you didn't know about that. It's not like there's some curse on you or something. We're not living under the law. We're not living under legalism. But you could give up that right out of love for another person so that they would not be offended by what you're doing and thereby create a stumbling block where they wouldn't want to hear the gospel. So he's talking about that and then he uses himself as an illustration where the first half of this chapter, he talks about how he is an apostle, but he's chosen to be single and he's also chosen to forbear collecting offerings from the church at Corinth while he labored night and day so that he would not be held chargeable to them and that he would not create a stumbling block with them receiving the gospel and growing in the grace of the Lord because they were brand new Christians. The Israelites and the Jewish community would be used to the concept of paying Someone like Paul, who was in full time ministry, because they had the Levitical priesthood. But in places like where the church at Corinth was, where it was people who'd never heard the gospel before, he said it might create a stumbling block if I try and teach them too quickly about giving and about giving to support me. So he said, even though God has ordained that that's the way it's supposed to work, is that the full time ministers of the gospel could be paid by the offerings of the church, I'm going to choose to not teach you about it, at least for now. And he preached the gospel by day and at night he was a tent maker. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, I believe. I didn't print out the verse, but it says they shared the same occupation. They made tents and he did that so he could pay his bills and then in the daytime give himself to full-time preaching and teaching the word of God, giving the gospel to people and helping these converts at the new church grow. And this is a wonderful and beautiful thing when we choose to give up our rights out of love for other people. But what Paul is saying is that that right was established by God, it did exist, and he proves that it exists by saying God has ordained this is the way it usually would work, is that the preacher of the church be supported by the offerings of the church, to say, but I've chosen to lay that aside. I also personally think that we're living in a day and age in our country where not only should more people do it, it's just the reality that if you want to be in ministry, there's all these positions you 'll look and you 'll see a lot of times there 's more churches needing pastors than there are pastors looking for a church to go to, but the overwhelming majority of the churches are little bitty churches who are kind of struggling a little bit who maybe need some help and it 's just the reality of our day and something I think a lot people a lot of people would be wise to follow the apostle paul 's example to if you 're training for full time ministry, yes study. to to be ready theologically, but also to have a trade or a job that would be friendly hours towards your family and towards ministry so that you could go to a little church that's just starting out and labor in the workforce and in the ministry in order to help them. But the principle is if a church has hundreds or thousands of people and they're all giving a proportion of their income, like the Bible says, and they have plenty of money, they shouldn't think it's more spiritual to either not pay the pastor at all or to pay him just enough that he can barely not starve to death. Neither one of those are are spiritual things because what we're seeing in the Bible is the way that God ordained it and it's not that you make someone rich we see these extravagant lifestyles that televangelists will have where they're buying uh, private jets and the one guy said if we don't raise 30 million dollars this year God told me he's gonna kill me so you know no pressure but that's what he's telling these people and a lot of times they take advantage of widows or of people who are looking to them for spiritual comfort and guidance and they take advantage of people and they make it all about the money. That's not what the Bible is talking about. But what I'm saying is if the church is able to do it, the normal way that God established is that through the giving of those people who attend that church, the pastor and the preachers would be able to be supported so that they could serve the Lord. I'm doing a lot in the way of review, but if you look at those verses, he came down to verse seven and he said, if you're a soldier who goes to war at their own charges, if you plant a vineyard, aren't you allowed to eat some of the fruit that grows out of the ground? And then he says, if you feed a flock, you take care of the sheep, shouldn't you be able to drink some of the milk that comes from the flock after that? Then he goes down through the next couple of verses and he gives in verse number 9, it's written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen that verse is quoted three separate times in the New Testament applying the principle that when someone goes to work for something they should be able to be supported by income from what they are doing. The, and what, The picture there is you don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads the corn. If the ox had to go and crush and tread out the corn You don't put a muzzle on him because that would be cruel. You allow him when he's hungry to stop and to eat. And then he uses that example and he says in verse number 10, it wasn't written simply about the ox, but it was written for our sakes that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Then verse 11, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? The word carnal there meaning fleshly, bodily, or temporal. So what he's telling them is that we've served you spiritually, so it shouldn't be considered a sin or some great thing if we're supported through the giving of the church and able to partake in some of those physical things that are needful in order to take care of yourself. Then he says in verse 13 and 14, do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? That's talking about the Levites in the Old Testament, the priest who, when it came to split up land and give inheritance to the tribes of Israel, they were not given land, and they did not work, but they served the Lord full time in the temple, and the tithes were brought into the temple, into the storehouse of the Lord, and part of that went to support the Levites so that they could live and serve the Lord. He says that in verse 13, then he says in verse 14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So, talking about himself, he talks about the Old Testament, then he says, applying the principle, even so, the same way they were supported, so too in the New Testament should ministers of the gospel be able to be supported. We closed out last week by considering what was Paul doing? What was his ministry? He was a missionary. He went to towns where they did not know the Lord. He intentionally said, I'm going to go where God's leading me, which is not to a town where everybody knows Christ, but to a town where they don't know him at all and preach the gospel. He did so and people started getting saved and churches started getting established. Then he would leave a Timothy or a Titus and he would say, go back and check on this church. Or he would ordain the elders or the past, meaning the pastors of the church and say, care for the flock. And he would write them letters Letters, which is what the New Testament epistles are, are letters that he was writing in most of these situations to a church that he had started where new converts came together. It's inspired. It's the word of God. Peter told us that Paul had some things in his writings that were hard to understand as there are in other scriptures also thereby telling us that first-century church received the writings of Paul as Scripture, and all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we don't believe that Paul is just writing his own opinions here. We believe what he's writing was a revelation from God, and it's further evidenced by a couple of times, like 1 Corinthians 7 and other places, where he says, I don't have a commandment from God on this part, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you I have liberty to tell you what I think. That doesn't mean none of it is inspired by God. It actually is pointing to the fact that his writings were inspired inspired by God. And like once, one or two times he had to stop and point to the fact that I don't really have a commandment from God on this point, but I'm, I'm just going to let you know that. Am I moving too fast? Does anybody have a question or anything at all so far? No, this is good. All right. Thank you. Okay, so he, he was a missionary, but then he also was involved in discipleship and in church planning. We read the verse last week that says when Paul went to Corinth, which is this congregation that he's writing to in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he stayed there for 18 months, preaching and teaching the Word of God and a church was established, okay? So he wasn't just a missionary. He was sort of doing the work of a pastor while that church was established. At different times, he would even rent out a room or a house, and he would stay there, and whoever would come in and go out, he would teach them the word of God. Some people the gospel to get saved, but also he would preach to the church as he did to the people in the upper room where he preached till midnight, and the guy fell out of the window because he fell asleep. I had somebody make a comment to me about how long my sermon was Sunday, and it reminded them of that passage, but we don't usually preach that long, so it's okay. Paul preached till midnight to the other men of the church on a Sunday night. That's what he was doing. He was also involved in teaching the church. Teaching and preaching to the people of that town that had gotten saved and established the church. Let's turn over now to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 9, but for now, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 7. Actually, let's back up to verse number 5 and read it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 5. Paul says this, "...for I suppose I was not a wit behind the very chiefest apostles." But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Then he kind of ponders something out loud in verse number seven. He says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? Here he's talking about the problems that they have had in that church and how he's called them to repent. They have repented. He's seen a lot of good things done. And he sort of wonders out loud here, I think maybe not in his own mind doubting himself as much as making the point to them that he did not collect wages and he did not be all bold in front of them and get in their face because he wasn't a true apostle but rather because he chose to deal with them humbly and gently and kindly. So when he says have I committed an offense by abasing myself, he's saying by taking such a humble position as I have with the church, I'm sort of wondering that I almost do you harm because you didn't realize that I was an apostle, that the message I had was from God and perhaps he's just gently reminding them that look, I've gone out of my way to be humble in front of you what I have to say is from God. Then he points to this example again of the wages and how he voluntarily chose to not collect any offerings from this new church plant in Corinth. And he says, have I committed an offense in abasing myself or humbling myself that ye might be exalted, meaning for your benefit, because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. Then he says in verse number eight, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them, to do you service. So, the Apostle Paul is a missionary, and oftentimes how we see him supported in the New Testament, we'll look at one other passage too, is he went to this town where there weren't Christians to go preach the gospel, reach people, establish churches, and even though he worked as a tent maker sometimes, there were other churches who said, hey, this guy the Apostle Paul is the Lord's missionary, he's doing a good work, he's out there trying to get people saved. We're not able to travel to that town and tell people about Jesus, but Paul is, so let's take some of the money that we're giving and give it to missions, which in the Bible, the way they gave to missions was to support a missionary so that he could go and preach the gospel. And Paul said that he collected wages. All of these words, I double checked them, That even though we sometimes the old English, we got to make sure we're getting it right. They mean exactly what we expect them to mean in our modern day vernacular. The wages are income. And he says, have I robbed other churches? Have I done them wrong by collecting offerings from them to support me while I ministered to you, even though there really was enough people here that if they gave, they would be able to support me. So I'm getting into principles of how all this works established in the Bible. Let's continue reading in verse 9. And when I was present with you and wanted... I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself." The brethren who came from Macedonia, we talked about this with the giving to persecuted churches, they didn't have PayPal, they didn't have online giving, they didn't have Tithely, they couldn't send him a check, so they physically had to send people, and when they went out to check on the Apostle Paul, they would take up an offering and say, here, keep it accountable, keep it safe, and when you get there, give this to Paul, because we want him to know we've got his back. We want him to be able to serve the Lord, and we're going to give to help support his needs so that he can. Preach the Gospel. this is a lot of these scriptures that we 're looking at are foundational for when we talk about worldwide missions and how we 're supposed to support it so in like Manner that I said, we don't see in the Bible them giving just to feed poor, hungry people or to support people who don't want to work or to make clean water. They gave to support the gospel being spread. What we primarily see them giving to is to a missionary who could preach the gospel. And that was the point that the older pastor made in the story that I told last week. Um, I don't want to go read all through it. A couple of people might not have been here, but there was a church in one state that restarted a church, merged with another one, they grew to about 80 or 100 people, and they said, we want a building to meet in, and we want it to be debt-free, so let's go ask other churches to give so they can build us a building. They got an organization that helps church planners to give them land for free, and then they said, well, try to collect from everyone else at all these other churches, and even started a GoFundMe account where they were inviting the community and unsaved people to give so that they could have a building, and they wanted to build a million dollar building and another pastor who was a little bit older kind of confronted a little bit called out and said I don't think what you're doing is necessarily biblical because in the Bible they gave to help one missionary go and start the church and they gave to see the gospel spread but he said we don't really see in the Bible asking the community to give people who aren't even saved God's work was funded by the giving of God's people and not only that, but he said, if every new church that started said, let's ask other churches all over the country to pay for us to have a million dollar building, it would drain all the giving away from what those churches were doing, and it wouldn't really be going to what we see it going to in the Bible. And so I said last week, I'm, I'm still kind of thinking about that, and but I at, at least see the point that the older pastor was making. And then the church ended up raising about $400,000 and waited so long that the building prices have gone from 1 million to a million and a half, so now they're looking at taking what they have and going to 1 million plus dollars in debt with only 80 or 100 people. Uh, that, that's the kind of thing that stresses me out that I would be like, if y'all want to do that, find somebody else. I'm, I'm, I'm going to rent a room and preach there because when you take on that kind of debt, you're taking on a lot of risk and things can happen to churches overnight. So, While we're talking about what they did in the Bible and principles about it, we still have to use sound biblical principles in what we're doing. A pastor, one commentator said, yes, the preacher has a right biblically to claim some support for what he's doing, but that all goes hand in hand with the church wanting the leadership that they have and with the church also being able to have expectations of the leadership that they're actually serving the congregation and you can't just go somewhere where they don't have money and demand that they give more because you want it. That type of a thing, we have to apply biblical principles to all of what the Bible has to say. But what we're seeing established here is that they gave not extravagantly or to give them other things, but they gave to support Paul so that he could preach the gospel. That's what missions is all about. Then in verses 10 and 11, he says, As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not... God knoweth. No, he's saying, because I loved you, I decided to not put the burden of giving on you just yet. But he said in the meantime, he was being supported by giving from other churches. And he even said in 1 Corinthians 9, if others be partaker of this, over you than us even more because we started the church. So they were giving to some people there at the church in Corinth and Paul was being given to by other churches and he says, I almost wonder if I robbed them by not teaching you soon enough about giving. So here's what I'm trying to say. In the Bible, the way we see it done missionaries were supported to go preach the word and establish works with the goal being that eventually they would be self-sustaining ministries that if they grew to the place, they were able to support their own church, pay their own bills, and support their own preachers, then that's the way that it would be done. That's exactly what we see Paul saying here in the Bible. He was saying in 1 Corinthians 9... What God has ordained is that they would preach the gospel, give of the gospel, and he was saying not to all churches everywhere, his supporting churches, but he said the normal God-ordained way would be that the church where I am living and ministering to would be the ones that would give to me. I hope that makes sense. If a missionary is supported, the church is able to grow to a place where they can be their own self-established church, then that's the best way, and that's the way it's supposed to work, and then we take our giving and give to send other missionaries where a church is not established yet, and to pay our own responsibilities. That's the pattern that we see established in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul compares himself to a farmer or a soldier or a shepherd. That's an occupation that people have as a career. And he says there is a category of this in the New Testament church. According to 1 Corinthians 9 and 2 Corinthians 11, the people who should have supported him, ordained by God the normal way it would work, is that the Christians in that town who were being taught by him would give to help support him, and he wonders if he has robbed other churches by taking their support. The goal here is that there would be self sustaining churches so i'm going to get here to uh my video clip everything turned off i took so long to do it but i'll stop and make one other note because i don't know where i have this in here but Paul was an apostle. We studied this throughout the summer in our Becoming a First Century Church series, but apostles were a one-time deal with very strict qualifications. You saw Christ after he had been risen from the dead. You were personally called by him into the ministry and some other things along those lines. They were not replaced, but rather as they started churches, those churches ordained elders, overseers, Pastors and bishops, which I believe are all the same position. We looked at three different texts where it uses those phrases interchangeably. So, any of those you want to use are actually fine, so long as it's all referring to the same position. We said that some churches, like in Presbyterian nomination, denominations and other places like that, they say, well, there's one person who's the preaching elder, and then there's a whole group of elders that are not called to preach, but it's their job to rule. And to be the overseers and in charge of the church like a governing board and the preacher just preaches but all the other elders are the one who actually oversee the church i don't believe that that's in the bible because i believe it's one position called elder called bishop called overseer or called pastor and that whether you have one or multiple Whether you have multiple who share equally or whether you have multiple and there's one sort of lead pastor or senior pastor and the others help him, I personally think all of those could fall within the biblical purview of being okay, of being something that would line up scripturally. And there's benefits and pitfalls probably to all of those situations. And what Baptists have tr- traditionally done is they said we see some evidence in the Bible that in Revelation there was one primary messenger, meaning preacher of the church. You see Titus, you see Timothy. They were told to set in order the things that are wanting to take care of it. They said we see biblical prince. Uh, um, Precedent for there at least sometimes being one person who's kind of sort of in charge, and Baptists will have one lead pastor, and then usually the younger ones are helpers, are assistants. They're still qualified, ordained into the ministry in their youth, like Timothy was in the Bible, but they sort of follow that pastor's direction, and then someday they get to the place where they switch. Uh, switch places and the older one still teaches and advises but sort of out of humility and in love preferring one another allows the younger one to kind of take that main lead direction so I, I taught through all of this before I don't know why I'm, I'm kind of recovering it but th- I wanted to give in depth that one night that I taught on it because there's some people who believe very strongly that unless you have at least three pastors and they all share equally in the responsibility or else you have that sort of board of ruling elders and and then one guy I can preach, then you're not biblical. And I don't believe that that's true. I believe that we showed biblically what it means. It's not being a Lord over God's heritage. It doesn't mean the pastor gets to control your life and tell you what to do, but rather The direction of the church, the doctrine of the church, God has given to that position of pastor to be what the word overseer means is superintendent as a supervisory role that if someone comes into the church and says, well, I think you know that we uh, should, I'm trying to come up with examples here, but well, I think that we need to change everything about what we're teaching and the way we do worship and go in this direction. And someone says, well, I like it the way it is. And someone says, well, I want something in the middle. Ultimately, there's someone who has the responsibility to lovingly guide the flock but guard the truth and say, no, I don't believe God wants us to go in that direction. We're gonna try to follow the Bible this way. That's given to the overseer, not to control people's lives, but rather to look out for the church, to take care of the members, to rebuke the wolves that would come in and try to pull away disciples unto themselves and to hurt people. I say all that to say, Paul was an apostle, but he also fulfilled the role of missionary, the role of pastor, the role of teacher and discipler, and after him, they are different positions, but we see, and they, I said this in the summer too, but they said Baptists traditionally like the word pastor, even though it's not found in the Bible as much as the other ones like bishop or elder, because it is described as shepherding. And Baptists liked it because it was kind of informal and didn't sound as stuffy as some of the other words that the other um, denominations would use. So they're different positions, but you have missionaries, you have pastors, and you have apostles. And we'll look later in the book of 1 Timothy, this same principle of not muzzling the ox is applied to the very specific position of pastor. It uses the word elder in that chapter, but like I said, it's using it interchangeably So, they ordained the elders, the pastors, to look over the church as they left, and it's the same type of role and the same principle is established for the missionary, for the pastor, as well as for the apostles. So, I have a little video clip here if I can uh, get it set up and show it to you. It's from missionary Keith Stensis, which is a missionary and church planner in Africa. When I was a child, he was one of the missionaries that came through our church that we gave to support. And he's one of the ones we gave a one-time gift to this year. And as we go into next year, Lord willing, we're going to look at taking people on more regularly on a monthly basis and ask the Lord to allow us to grow the amount we give to missions. And that's going around the world. But what he talked about is the principle of those congregations where the church is established having some skin in the game when it comes to paying bills, when it comes to giving, and how if it's just human nature, if you don't pay for something, you tend to not really value it. If I work hard for my money and I paid thousands of dollars for my car and I paid it off, I'm going to be careful with that thing because I know what it costs to pay for it when something breaks. So maybe when I come to a speed bump, I'm going to slow down a little bit because I know this is mine. I know how hard I worked for it. But if someone just gives you the keys and you've never worked a day in your life and you know that someone else is going to pay for it, you might not care what kind of damage it does when you hit that speed bump. And that's what that one older pastor was talking about in the matter of building a building, that when something is kind of given to you for free, it kind of causes you to not value it quite as much. And so uh, if I could take a second here and get this, Set up. We'll see what he had to say. I think it's just about a six-minute clip, and then we'll look to wrap up here quickly after that. So you known this guy for quite some time. Huh? Yes, Jason. What would you think? might be the first year he came through. I would say approximately 1996. Wow. He's come back to visit a couple of. Times. And I remember specifically him coming back to visit when we were having Wednesday night next door. That was probably within the last 15 years, anyway. Oh wow. I Maybe maybe 10 or even five. Um, so I think that this will be loud enough that we can hear. It's not the greatest setup, but I think you'll be able to at least hear what he has to say. It, like I said, it's just a six minute video clip.
1: When I came to Uganda in 1996, uh, I honestly, I did not know hardly anything about church planting. Uh, No one had ever taught me about church planning. I never started a church before and uh, and yet here we come to Uganda and we tell people we're starting churches and uh, So we came into Masaka town and with myself being the pastor and learning here and there I, I was able to do some things and build a ministry then we started wanting to start churches out in the villages and when you go out in the villages you really find out how far you can stretch a dollar and so you see that man just for a few dollars look at what we can do look at what we can build look at what we can buy and so the tendency is when you start a church you come in and you say all right i've got these american dollars and and we can build the structure we can buy the land and we think we're doing something good for the people And so we did that in one of our first church plants, and I figured out, and this was back in, uh, this was back in 1998, and so we figured out that I could buy a piece of property, and we could build a building on this land for $500. And so we began calling different churches, and trying to raise the funds, and doing this and that, and so we had a church uh, in Texas sent us the money uh, to build this church and buy this land. Well, the problem is we did buy the land, and we did build the church, and we thought everything was great, everyone was rejoicing, uh, and then after that, uh, they started having problems with their building. Uh, the building started settling a little bit, uh, started, the walls started cracking a little, and, and uh, so they started coming to me and say, Pastor, we need you to come fix your building. And I said, wait a minute, this is not my building, this is your building. And they said, no, Pastor, you built it, it's yours. And one of the things that I found out was that the mentality that says let's do it for you once you do something for them a hundred percent they want you to continue doing it for them a hundred percent and so that helped me and by the way Uh, I lost that church, uh, because they, they, if I wasn't gonna help them out financially and if I wasn't gonna do for them, they didn't wanna have anything to do for me. And today, unfortunately, it's a Pentecostal church. And so that, a lot of that is on me because I didn't know how to start churches. I didn't know the philosophy to use or whatever. I didn't know anything about discipleship or anything like that. I was just a, I was just a green missionary. So what I figured out was this. When we come into a place that wants to start a church, number one is discipleship. Forget about the building, forget about land. The number one thing is discipleship. You teach those people the word of God and ground those people in the word of God. Because here's what we're beginning to teach our people over here. We do not, you do not build a building to draw people. You build people so that they can build their building. And what has happened in our ministry here is we have been starting to see these guys, instead of being so concerned about property and buildings, they begin spending more time in discipling their people. And then they come up with the idea and say, hey, we want to start building a building. I said, okay, what are you going to do? They said, well, we need, we need so many bricks. I said, all right, here's what we'll do. I said, if you will make the bricks, uh, I'll buy the cement uh, to, to put the walls and everything up. And uh, so they said, "All right, that's great." And so I've seen some of our churches here. Uh, they'll make about twenty-five thousand bricks. Uh, I've seen there the, the ladies in the church, the men of the church, the, uh, the even the young people in the church get together. They put these building these bricks together and 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 burning the bricks, and they're doing it themselves. So their skin is in the game, and and their sweat is in the game, and and so they're seeing it as their Building their project. Now, I want to come along and help them. I, I definitely want to help them. Uh, but we've got to start making sure that these people have a relationship with God, they can pray in their resources, and they can give of themselves to their building construction. And in uh, and that church right now, the church that built the 25,000 bricks, I helped them with cement. Uh, then uh, I told them, I said, All right. Uh, here's what we'll do. I said if you will uh, get the timbers for the roof, for the trusses of the roof uh, we will take care of the iron sheets and uh, I believe if I remember correctly brother Rick Williamson's church sent the money uh, For those iron sheets, but again they put the effort into it now ever since that time that church is one of our strongest churches that we have in existence here in this area that we've had the opportunity of starting. Why? Because the people look at it as their ministry, it's not the white man's ministry, it's not America's ministry, they don't look to uh, America for their answer. They can get a hold of God, they can see God work, and now God is blessing that church in a marvelous, marvelous way. And so I have seen both ends of the spectrum. And I've come to find out that in our church planting ministry, we've got to first of all build people before we build buildings. Uh, You you don't ever start building buildings first. Build the people first. And then, when you build the people, then begin working with them step by step and letting them sacrifice and letting them give uh, so that they can see their building done. And, uh, And then it becomes their ministry, it becomes their building, it becomes their church. And uh, with those type of ministries, I've never had any problem with them at all, and they're doing a great job for the Lord Jesus Christ. That was
0: pretty cool. Some of those things he was saying is what you just were just. Um... That's why I found it interesting, and I thought that it sort of fit with the principles of what we're talking about. Did anybody uh, have a question about that or was everybody able to hear well what he was saying? Okay, I want that turned off. So basically it was the principle that if it's handed to you and you don't help pay for what you're benefiting from even when you could, it sort of leads to an attitude of you not valuing it as much. And that's sort of exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying that he wondered if it had negatively affected them in that type of a way with what he had done or not. So let's look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and let's just read the rest of these verses, and then we'll be done. And here I just want us to see the example that Paul gave by choosing to voluntarily give up what he felt he, he, he had a scriptural right to out of love for other people, first corinthians chapter nine here 's what we're, where we will finish up tonight. Verse number fifteen, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. What he's saying here, and he said in other places, he glories in. He was sort of you could say not in a negative way, but proud of the fact that one of the marks of his ministry is that he was willing and able to forbear the type of financial support that would usually be God-ordained for the ministry he was doing, and he wanted to keep that. He believed it was God's will for him. Verse 17, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. I talked a little bit about this Sunday, but Paul was an apologist who was always ready to give a reasoned defense of the truth, and he was so missions minded that when he went to that culture, he tailored his lifestyle, he tailored his actions into a way that would allow him to connect with those people for the purpose of giving them the gospel and seeing them come to Jesus Christ. Christ. It was not that he sinned. It was not that he ever went against what the Bible said or what God wanted him to do. But when he went to Jews, he behaved according to the law. When he went to people who didn't know Jewish law, he didn't worry about being a stickler for it because he knew he was free in the New Testament to do either way. But he loved those people. I gave the example several times before when we preached through the meat sacrificed unto idols. If as an American, I were to say, well, I believe God wants me to be a missionary to India and go preach the gospel of those people and see them get saved and know that in India, they believe in reincarnation and in Hinduism and mysticism, and they won't eat cows because they believe that it could be one of their relatives that was reincarnated. That's ridiculous. That's not true. That's not biblical. But I said, if I were to go in there and say, I know that as a a New Testament Christian, I'm free to eat meat, and I had a barbecue in my front yard every night. I would be within my my bounds of Christian liberty, but I would be being so offensive to these people that I would drive them away from a relationship with me, which would take away my opportunity to give them the gospel. And that's all that Paul was saying. And in part of that, he's saying, when I came to you in other places I've gone, I've not collected a dime, I've worked because I want to show how far I'm going to give the gospel and that I really care about people and not about the money. Verse 22, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Then he talks about something that can apply to each and every one of us, laying aside weights that easily beset us, running the race as you would talk about Olympics or sports, and giving our all for Jesus Christ. Verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. I should be, I myself should be a castaway. He says if you're going to run in the Olympics, you're going to try to gain a prize. They lay aside certain things. If you're training for the Olympics, you can't eat the diet that I'm currently eating. They can't go do the pizza and the McDonald's and all these things, but they pay the price to win. And he says, they're doing it for something that's temporary, but we can win eternal crowns if we are willing to dedicate ourselves spiritually to the cause of Jesus Christ. And he says, I keep under my body, bring it in subjection, meaning he controls his fleshly appetites, he controls his desire for money and those type of things. He says, Lest by any means, when I have preached to others, that he himself should be a castaway or a backslidden Christian that's not valuable to God. And through that, we also see the lesson that he was humble enough to know that even he could fall and slide into sin. And each and every one of us need to be aware of the fact that we're in our flesh and that we should be careful. He established that it was God's given order that we support missionaries, we support pastors, but no doubt many should take his example by him saying, I'm willing to give give up my rights out of love for the church and not partake in things that I would have a right to and there's two lessons we learn there. What's the normal God-ordained established way and also an example to not be demanding our rights but rather look to give them up out of love and deference to other people. Does anyone have any questions tonight? Yes, Jason. Is committed unto me I don't know if you have a thought on that or it just means it's better to do it for the right I, I think that what he's saying is I'm doing it out of my own will not being forced to do it and let me see the verses before that is he talking about the fact that he's willingly giving up the right to financial support I mean that's kind of what he transitions from right uh, I have looked at that verse, and the the, the word dispensation there means stewardship. So if I do it willingly, I have my reward. If he's doing it grudgingly, he doesn't. God's given him a stewardship of the gospel, and he wants to be a good steward to it. I believe if I'm recalling that right, that was the basic meaning of that there. Anybody else? Comments, protests, questions? All right. You can turn uh, that off back there.